think they're done. Ah, I'm so glad we didn't miss that. <laughs> glad I didn't steal that from y'all. That was beautiful. Is it my turn? <laughs> at one of the first churches, this isn't notes, one of the first churches I served at, the senior pastor after I preached one time said, maybe start with a joke or something. I, I took care of that already. So <laughs> if you don't know who I am or why I'm so confused about how the service goes, uh, my name is Jeremy Hall and I'm the associate pastor here. I've been here at Townview with y'all for maybe six weeks? Do, does anyone know for sure? Somewhere around there. A little more than, do you, are you raising your hand because you know? How many weeks? About five. Okay, so I've been here a little over a month. I'm glad other people are keeping track of this stuff for me. I've been here a little over a month, and it is an absolute joy to be a part of this church family and to have the chance to uh, be up here in this pulpit this morning. For um, the last uh, several months, we have been looking at the fruit of the Spirit in a really great in-depth series study of those individual attributes. And now that we've finished that, we've stepped into this tradition called the lectionary, um, which is a group of teachings that have been put together by a bunch of folks a long time ago that churches all around the world follow together. So as we read these passages, we're synced up with Christians all around the world and are in this rhythm that we've been engaged in for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so last week we stepped back into that rhythm. And the idea behind it is that everyone's on the same page. About every three years you get sort of the whole feel of the scriptures. And this uh, time we're in a season with the book of John, the uh, fourth gospel. And something I've been talking about with the youth a lot is how to read the Bible, not just to read it, but how do we read it? How do we get the most out of what it's trying to say to us? So before we talk about the passage, I want to talk about the book just for a moment, because I think it's a good idea to have an idea of what we're reading before we read it. So what's John? Well, most scholars believe that John is the newest of the four Gospels. That means it was the last to be finished. Most think that Mark comes along first really early after the life of Jesus. Uh, it's full of action verbs. It's really concerned with what Jesus did, the works and the acts of Jesus. Next comes Matthew really quick on its heels. Um, very concerned with Jesus' teachings, very concerned with his Jewishness, very concerned with the uh, uselessness of the Roman Empire. And then we get Luke a little later, carefully curated by Luke, the doctor, commissioned to put together an accurate account of what happened with this Jesus guy. And he collects and he curates and he arranges and he edits to give us a gospel that's focused sort of on evangelism and right teaching and what happened. What do people really need to know about this Jesus guy? Uh, these first four, three books we call the synoptics. Synoptics sounds like synonym. They're all really similar. They, they sound the same. They're arranged similarly. They pull from the same earlier texts. They're getting at some of the same stuff. But then along comes John. Um, and John is tardy to the party and strikingly different than the other gospels. If you were to pick up the Bible and decide you wanted to read the New Testament from left to right, from Matthew to Revelation, 
After the first about 85 pages, you would have finished the first three Gospels. Yes, they're that short. Go sit down and read them at once. They make more sense that way. Um, You get through those, and you get a sense for how this sort of storytelling works. And then you hit John, and it would be quite different. This is a different kind of gospel. You would quickly realize you were in new territory. Uh, Each of the previous gospels opens by situating us in time and space. We're given a year, a ruler, an event, a location, something to orient us in the story. Not so with John. John opens with this cosmic poem, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, takes us to a very different place. The practice of teaching in parables that you would have come to expect from Jesus is completely gone in John. Here, Jesus speaks in long sort of lectures or discourses and makes grand statements rather than parables and pithy statements along the way. And there's some other differences too, but these are some that people really notice really quickly. And so why is John so different? Well, it's got a different purpose. They're trying to do something different with the Gospel of John. Um, Most who study these things think this book is written about a hundred years after the life of Jesus. So they've had time to study the other books, to really think about these things, to collect stories, and here's a big fancy word, and to theologize the life of Jesus. The earlier Christians are discovering these incredible truths about this Jesus for the first time, led by the Spirit, as they explore the deeds and teachings and sayings of Christ. But the the folks, now several generations in, who are going to write John, come to the task with compounded theology and spiritual wisdom, and the book reflects that. They don't start in the first century Mediterranean coast. They know that this story goes all the way back to in the beginning. It sounds like Genesis for a reason. They don't start with a Galilean peasant. They start with the creator of the universe. This Jesus starts out the book with the title of Christ. The theology is already in place. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is God. Jesus is the foil to Rome and to restrictive religion. And the author, authors, know this because they've already spent about 100 years with Jesus. And for this reason, John is often called the spiritual gospel. It's got these spiritual insights already in place. Many of the themes that had previously been uh, obscure or mysterious have been fleshed out by the Spirit for this community. And so the story of Jesus is being told again, faithfully and accurately, but arranged, edited, curated for the teaching of good theology. So with that in mind, uh, let's take a look at what's going on in the sixth chapter of John. So far, we've seen the feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus walks on water, and now we enter, and Jim started us last week, into this bread of life discourse. So remember, John is trying to communicate theological points in this, or trying to tell us truths about this Jesus. So, so far, Jesus feeds 5,000 when Jesus shows up at the table. There's always gracious plenty for all. The people seeing this man has power over nature and the natural order of the universe decide that they want to make the movement political, and they decide they're going to make Jesus king, and Jesus isn't about this, so he, he runs away across the lake like you do, walking on water, joining the disciples. You know, it's normal kind of behavior if you're Jesus. Joins the disciples 
in their boat in a storm. And unlike other tellings of this story, he doesn't stop the storm at all. He just gets in the boat and gets them where they're going through the storm. And he gets to the other side, and he he gets back to his preaching ministry. He's in a synagogue preaching. And the people from the other side of the the lake, the 5,000, they find him. And the basic question is, um, got any more of that bread? And so they're, they're looking for material things from Jesus, and the religious folks recognizing what's going on think this Jesus could be making himself out to be the Messiah, or at least a prophet. He's doing this Moses miracle of producing the bread from heaven. Good Bible phrase for you. And they're pushing him on his credentials to do such things and make such claims. So let's take a look at this week's passage from the sixth chapter of John. So the question is, got any more bread? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. At this, the Jews began to grumble amongst themselves because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his mom. We know his dad. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. I am the bread of life. He's like poking him. He's doing it again. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. That's a weird thing to say. Uh, Which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This is... This is not normal stuff to say. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Ouch. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am in them. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So the folks that are confronting Jesus want to know if he's really trying to make these claims about his status as one of the prophets of God. But Jesus is taking it a step further than that. Not Moses. Don't get twisted. Moses was just a conduit of the goodness of God. But here with me, this is kind of what Jesus is saying, the goodness of God is made present and personal here with you. Jesus is saying, yeah, I can do the whole bread multiplication thing, but I did not come just to bring bread. I came to be bread. I am the only one that can really sustain you. The story that this chapter has been telling so far has been building upon itself. All of John 6 is going somewhere. Jesus feeds the people. Then Jesus joins the disciples in their distress, not taking the distress away, but joining them in it, taking them safely through it. So when the people want to move backwards in the story, when folks want to get back to eating bread again, Jesus won't do it. He's ready to move on to his point. Your ancestors ate manna and died. We ate bread. That was great. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
And this manna talk, it, it takes us back to Exodus 16, uh, first time we saw this manna stuff. The people were hungry, wandering in the desert, and God miraculously gave them enough food for each day. Each day, bread would appear on the ground, and these desert wanderers would collect it. It didn't matter how much you collected, you'd have enough for that day. When Jesus claims this title of manna for himself, when he says that, that Moses thing was just pointing towards me, he's claiming certain things for himself. He's making specific declarations about who he is. If uh, you're a note-taking kind of person, I've got four uh, things here, so get ready. In claiming the status of manna for himself, Jesus is making four claims. Uh, First is Jesus is a free gift from God. In the same way as the newly freed slaves wandering in the desert had only to accept the manna as a free gift, Romans 6 says that the life found in Christ is a free gift from God. It's there. The action is only to pick it up. Number two, Jesus is fresh every day. One of the purposes of the manna and the way that the refugees in Exodus 16 experienced it was to teach them and us that God's provision can be trusted. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to say, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. It connects to that Matthew teaching uh, about not worrying what you will eat or what you will wear. It's an invitation to surrender worry to Jesus and to pick up the freedom that comes with trusting in Jesus' consistency. Jesus is always ready. Jesus is fresh and good and ready every day. Uh, Number three on here, Jesus does not run out. The manna in the desert was always in the right amount. If you didn't pick up the right measure, you'd still have enough to eat. And John gets it right. If you want to understand this Jesus, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of the cosmos. In the beginning was Jesus. And if you follow the Johannine tradition, that's a fancy way of saying all the books that are written by someone named John, uh, you get to the end at Revelation, and Jesus is given the title of Omega. Jesus is labeled as the last thing. He's the bookends on the universe. Jesus is Alpha and Omega, right there at the start, creating out of an abundance of creativity and love and waiting at the end, making all things new out of the very same overflow. Jesus doesn't run out. And four for you note-takers. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. When Jesus rebuked the religious leaders about crediting Moses with the gift of the manna, he was rebuking them for mislocating the source of their provision. Over and over, God uses Moses as a conduit of grace and mercy and goodness, but the source has always been God. The people were enslaved, God liberated them. The people were trapped, God made a way. The people needed food, God showed up with bread. The people were thirsty, God watered them from a rock. The people were sick, God healed them. The people were cursed, God blessed them. The people were wanderers. 
and God gave them a home. A verse that like grabbed my life in the last couple years. Um, if you like the language of life verse, I think this has become mine. Second Corinthians one twenty says that for all the promises of God, however many they may be, they are yes in Jesus and amen in Christ to the glory of God through us. It kind of says whatever God has promised you, be it deliverance or provision or guidance or wisdom or a family or a home or a future or meaning or value or purpose, that promise has been answered, yes, in Jesus. Whatever the promise is, the answer, their fulfillment is Jesus. And it's been perfectly answered in this Jesus because this Jesus is enough. Not Jesus and a promotion. Not Jesus and a perfect job. Not Jesus and a boyfriend. Not Jesus and a beautiful wife. Not Jesus and smart kids or Jesus and a bigger house. Not Jesus and better grades. Not Jesus and a nicer car. Not Jesus and YouTube fame or Jesus and prestige. Not Jesus and a better education. Not Jesus and a book deal. Not Jesus and the correct political outcomes. Not Jesus and the perfect church. Not Jesus and anything. Just Jesus. The story of manna in Exodus was never about the Israelites in the desert. It wasn't about Moses, and it wasn't even about the bread. That story was about God. And all those thousands of years later, as the promises made to David and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and Adam are fulfilled in one man, we start to realize that this story is about Jesus. It was always about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live. Let's pray. God of every good gift, you have provided for us in so many ways. But all of them are pointing in one direction. They're all pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We ask that you open our eyes to the reality that whatever it is that we are working for or striving towards or stressing over or living for, if it's not you, it's, it ends up in the ground. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but those who eat the bread of life, that is those who really internalize this Jesus. You've, you give us new life and real life. Gospel of John, you, you gave him something special. John 10, 10, the purpose of Jesus' coming was that the followers might have life to its fullness. We want that. We want you. It's in your son's most beautiful and holy name we pray. Amen. At this point in the service, we come to a time of response. Uh, maybe you need prayer this morning. Maybe you want to take a step towards this Jesus for the first time. Maybe for the second or third time. Maybe we're 
ready to turn a new page, and we want to ritualize that with some sort of action this morning. Uh, Jim and I will be down front to receive you if that's the kind of care you need today.